0: Please turn with me to Mark chapter 7 as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 24 through 37, which is the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 7, 24 through 37. Before we go to the Word, let's go again to our Lord and ask for His help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, these aren't simply bits of advice for our lives here on earth. This isn't just our little instruction book to guide us along the way. These are the very words of God. These words instruct us what we ought to believe concerning you and how we ought to act on this earth. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us because we admit that we don't always believe correctly concerning you. And we admit that we don't always act the way that we ought to. And it's because we don't understand your word or we just understand it and refuse to do it. We need help, Lord, as your people, as your people who struggle with the day-to-day, who are afraid of little things that you have already conquered. And so, Lord, we pray that you would embolden us this morning as we come to your word. Teach us from it. Give us wisdom, truth, and mercy. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I read this text, the first thing that came to my mind was a story from baseball, I'm a big baseball fan. This is a sad year to be a baseball fan. A really sad year to be a Cardinal fan, in fact, since they're the only team that's not playing baseball right now. But the Cardinals, in 2003, back when there was baseball happening, called up a minor league player named Bo Hart. If you're a Cardinal fan, you may remember that. Before they called him up, uh, he was playing in Memphis for the minor league team there, and he would sign autographs for people. He would talk to fans before the games. Memphis was a cool place to go and watch baseball games in those days, and he would, he was among the fans there. In his first 10 games upon being called up to the majors, he batted 460, which means that he safely hit half the time. That's a record. No one has done that ever. And he, that was incredible for someone that you've probably never even heard of. Every pitcher was trying to figure out how to pitch to him. And guess what? They eventually did. And he ended the year 277, which isn't that bad, but it was a sign of things to come because he was, came from such great heights. And the following season, he didn't even get barely over 100 and he was sent back down to Memphis. And when he got sent back down to the minor league team, there were stories of him no longer signing autographs or no longer talking to the fans. He saw himself as better than he was, and he struggled to come down from his major league high. In our text today, we come face to face with a similar kind of theme. Jesus meets a Gentile woman concerning her daughter, and he is faced with a dilemma. Who is it that he came to save? Who is it that deserves his healing power? Jesus shows us a picture of our own salvation here as Gentile people. And in the same way, he shows us the scope of what our own ministries then should look like. In the second part of our text, we'll see that same kind of thing. We'll see him ministering to someone who is completely helpless, who is completely not considered by the societies of the day. Are we the grateful minor leaguer? who's just thankful for a chance to get up to the big show? Are we prima donnas now in Christ, no longer able to mingle with the rougher parts of society, but seeing ourselves as wholly better than everyone else? As we go through this text, we'll see our hearts in this. More importantly, we'll see Jesus, the one who even lets dogs eat the crumbs from his table. And I'm thankful. As we go through this text... I want us to look at it in two main ideas. First, the dogs at the table, and then secondly, the deaf along the way. So with that, let's look together at Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. But she answered him, "Yes, Lord." Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, "For this statement, you may go on your go your way." The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put fingers in into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looked up to the heaven he sighed and said to him ephatha that is be opened and his ears were open his tongue was released and he spoke plainly and Jesus charged them to tell no one but the more he charged them the more zealously they proclaimed it and they were astonished beyond measure saying He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just real quick, a little bit of context from last week. Remember last week we dealt with a group of people known as the Pharisees and we looked at their views on hand washing. Remember, they looked down at the disciples for not washing their hands properly, and you you may think, why hand washing? But Jesus used this as a springboard to show them their own hearts being hardened toward him, and in, in fact, showing us our own hearts in that way. From here, he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, we read in today's text. We talked about these cities from Isaiah 23, if you want to go see a little bit more about them. Those have to do with judgments against those cities, so that's not necessarily a friendly text. However, today, these cities still exist. They are in modern-day Lebanon, some pretty big cities. And they were, in that time, they were some ancient Phoenician ports. They were known for their wealth and their influence. However, in Jesus' day, as as time passed, of course, they became Roman cities because all cities were pretty much Roman cities then. And they were still very important places of trade. And they had people from all over the place there. And so Jesus was traveling to these places called Tyre and Sidon in order to get away. There wasn't a whole lot of of Jewish influence in those places at the time. It could be that he wanted to get away from the pressures of Jewish leadership that we just saw from the Pharisees in the preceding passage. That was increasing, and it's going to continue to increase as Jesus' ministry continues. He had no intent to begin a public ministry there in Tyre and Sidon. We see that he doesn't stay very long, but he didn't accidentally wander there either. Let's remember that Jesus doesn't do random, ever. He's always on purpose. He didn't just end up in Tyre and was like, oh, let's talk to people while we're here. That's not how he worked. So this is how we find him. There's a preordained meeting with a Gentile woman, and he intended to meet her. And that brings us to the first point, the dogs at the table. Look with me again at verses 24 through 26. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and fell down at his feet. So you can kind of imagine... The situation. Jesus had hoped to kind of lay low for a time. So he went off into this region that was decidedly Gentile. There were people from all over the place in Tyre and Sidon. There would have been Jewish people there, sure, but there would have been people from all over the Mediterranean there. It was a very popular port city. However, though he would try to get away, someone who can feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish, someone who causes the dead to rise. Obviously, going, word is going to spread. And this woman who heard where he was staying comes in the house. We don't even know, if, we don't know whose house it is, but this woman came on in and she fell down at his feet, making a request to him concerning her daughter. Mark makes sure that we understand that this woman is not Jewish, calls her a Syro-Phoenician by birth, which was just the Roman province that Tyre and Sidon were contained in. And her request was, didn't even concern her necessarily. It concerned her daughter to cast a demon out of her daughter. Probably she had heard of the fact that Jesus had cast out many demons by this point in his ministry. Her daughter had one because demons aren't limited to Jerusalem, in that area, and she she wanted it cast out. So we've talked about this idea of social hierarchy of the day, but I want to remind you a little bit. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was of the line of David, and he kept the Jewish traditions as far as dates and the the cultural things. No one could look at Jesus' life and say, you know what, he's faking that whole Jew thing. He did it well. He was very good at it. And so for Jesus, a Jewish man, to even speak to a Gentile, much less a Gentile woman in a Gentile city, would have been a very strange thing. For a woman to throw himself at Jesus' feet would have been scandalous. I think we kind of lose sight of this sort of thing today. Remember, Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was a teacher in the temple. And here is this Gentile woman throwing himself at her feet. Not only that, she doesn't even want anything. She wants her daughter to have something. Women weren't women weren't exactly viewed with the highest honor in that day by many, just barely abrupt property for most people. And so her daughter, this little woman, wasn't even a son, would have been barely or barely visible or even mentionable to the average Jewish rabbi. We need to think about this in a cultural context. Here is this Gentile woman coming to a Jewish rabbi, talking about her daughter who's not even named here in this passage. Yet this is Jesus. This isn't an average rabbi. Here he is, and he's not here by any consequence or coincidence, we've already said, and notice his reply. We want him to reply with something real nice, you know, like he did to Jairus' daughter. But instead he says this. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, that's pretty tough, right? What do we do with this? It seems like one of those really hard sayings of Jesus Christ. We know that it seems like he's insulting her here. Maybe. Maybe he's trying to push her away somehow. However, there's probably a bit of nuance that we might miss. It's no secret that Jesus came, who did he come to first, the Jews, all throughout the Old Testament, who is the promises of salvation given to directly? the Jewish people, the people of God. We talked about this when we talked about Romans 1 last week, Romans 1:16, the power the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for whom? Jews first, then for The Gentiles right so this was part of God's plan for sure the redemption of his covenant people Israel yet remember the covenant promises that we also read what did he say to Abram I will be your God you will be my people and in you all the families of the world it's not just Jewish families all the families of the world will be blessed This is the promise of God to Abram, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So the intent of God is for the salvation of his people. Jews, Gentiles, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all of his people will be saved. He came to forgive the sins of the world. We read this in 1 John 2, not just the Jews. So why does Jesus say this? Well, we can only guess because he, because he doesn't really help us here. He doesn't go off to his disciples and say, this is why I said this to this woman. He Sometimes he does that for us. He doesn't hear. But I think we can see a little piece of it in how the woman responds to him. Look at verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, in the Jewish culture, the dog was not considered a good thing. All right, dogs were they not were not necessarily family pets. Some people did keep pets, but this—but um, usually dogs were kind of the things that were out in the street eating the trash. However, the term here for dog does denote that kind of term that we would use for like a family pet. This isn't in a term of endearment or anything. He's not saying little puppy or anything like that, but. It's a lot less harsh than it could be. We all understand this picture of a dog waiting by the table, waiting for the smallest scrap of food to fall by so they can get a bite. I watch this every day with my dog laying his head in the lap of my children because they're more likely to feed him. You get the idea. When Jesus hears this, when he hears this woman say this, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What does he do? He heals her. He heals her daughter. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus has the power to do that, and so he does it. The ultimate plan of redemption through Jesus was for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for the whole world, to be saved. Jesus was there for just a little while. And a very specific ministry to the Jewish people. But those Jewish people whom Jesus ministered to, where did they go once Jesus died and ascended into heaven? They went all over the whole world. And the whole world would hear about Jesus Christ. I want you to see yourself here, brothers and sisters in Christ. Were it not for the love and for the mercy of Jesus, we'd be the dogs hoping to get crumbs that fell from the table. Most of you know my love for 2 Samuel chapter chapter 9 and the story of a man by the name of Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. He walks into David's chamber thinking he's about to die. King David calls Mephibosheth in and he says... Come on in, i got something to say to you. Mephibosheth thinks, okay, this is where I'm going to die. David says to him, 2 Samuel chapter 9, he says, All that you have, or all that was your dad's, is yours now. And you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your days. And Mephibosheth looks at him and says, Why would you even consider a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth had no illusions of who he was. He wasn't just a dog, but he was a dead dog. But what did David say to him? He said, Mephibosheth, you will eat at my table, the king's table, all the rest of your days. Even though you're crippled and even though you're a son of the enemy, you're going to eat at my table all the rest of your days. Christians. Were it not for the mercy of God, we'd be beggars at the table at best. Dead dogs. Yet because of his mercy, he has called us to a new life. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, called us to eat at his table, not as dogs, but as sons and daughters of the king. That's the truth of the gospel. The simple truth that dogs like you and me have been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God by the will of God through the power of the gospel. So, now that we have this, now that we have been called up, so to speak, from the dogs just begging for crumbs at the table to sit at the table as sons and daughters of the kings, how then will we act? Don't forget the difference between those of us at the table of God and those of us who are not yet there. What's the difference? Why did he call me to sit at the table? Oh, is it because I'm somehow better than those who are the dogs? Is it were those men that were his disciples better than the woman who begged at his feet? No, it's not our smarts or our good looks. It's the mercy of, and the grace of our Lord alone. So as those... ...who have been called by God, we now have no right to thumb our noses at the rest of the world. Whether Rather, what do we now have a responsibility to do? What did God tell Abram? Through you and in you, what will you be to the rest of the world? A blessing. What do we have the responsibility to do, brothers and sisters in Christ? Be a blessing... To the rest of the world. If Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise. Then what does that say about those whom he calls his children. His people. We too should be a blessing to the nations. Let's go to the next point. The death along the way. So Jesus decides to travel north to Sidon. Before he goes back to the Sea of Galilee. Which is southeast of this whole region. Back to the Decapolis. Remember the Decapolis from when he's met legion the the demon possessed man and some other stories that we've talked about in this region and he had done a lot of ministry there so for some reason he he decides to travel north before he goes back south we don't know his reason but that isn't for us to know a lot of scholars have made a whole lot of this it kind of cracks me up that they would think that this is a big deal but jesus doesn't have to reveal all of his reasons to us for anything that he does so for some reason he traveled north before he traveled south now that he's back in the decapolis He meets a man who was deaf, and his deafness has caused him to have a speech impediment. You've probably met someone like this in your days. In those days, however, if you were deaf and you couldn't speak, you did not work, because you couldn't. No one wanted someone they couldn't talk to or that couldn't talk to them. You couldn't work, and so if you didn't work, you didn't eat in those days as well, and so your only recourse was to beg. And so more than likely, we are not told this in the text, but more than likely, this man that they brought to him was a beggar. And so these others, whoever they are, brought him to Jesus to be healed. And notice what Jesus does there in verse 32. They brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, Touched his tongue. Pretty interesting that Jesus would do this. Have you ever tried to communicate with someone who can't hear very well? Or even who can't speak? What is the only way that you can talk to those people if they can't read your lips? You have to talk to them with your hands. You have to talk to them through body language, right? So that they can then understand you. We have a whole language for that. It's called sign language. Jesus was showing this man what he was about to do. He put fingers in his ears and then he spit to show this man, I'm about to do something for your ears. I'm about to do something for your tongue. It might have been easy for Jesus to simply continue on his way. Right? What did Jesus normally say when he spoke to crowds after he was done speaking? What did he say? He who has ears, let him hear. This man didn't have those ears to hear. And so Jesus stopped so that he could do that for him. And that's just it, right? Which of us before Christ could say, I can understand the things of Jesus? Before you were a Christian, which of you could say, I totally understand the Bible. It totally makes sense to me. Which of us can say, I know enough to make a confident and informed decision concerning the Savior of the world? Outside of Jesus Christ, none of us could do that. We're going to learn about that as we study Romans 1 today, actually. None of us. We were dead in our sins. No one seeks after God. No one can understand. Rather than speaking praise, only vile things would come from our mouths, is what Romans 3 tells us. Romans 3 said our throats were an open grave before Christ, full of curses and bitterness. Before Jesus, not only could we not hear, but we didn't want to hear unless it had something to do with how awesome we are. Then we love hearing those things, of course. When Jesus reached out to this deaf man and he healed him, it was a picture then of how each one of us have been healed in him. He unstopped our ears so that we might hear the gospel. He loosened, loosened our cursed tongues that we might respond in praise to his name. Outside of this, we're still beggars along the road, just hoping for whatever we can get. In Christ, we have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. There's nothing in that man that deserved this from Jesus, but he did it nonetheless. In that way, our story and his are very much the same. So what about those who are still deaf along the way? Who will bring them to Jesus? And you maybe know where this is going. Notice, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon and in the region of the Decapolis and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him, Jesus, to lay his hand on him, the deaf man. Who are these people? That are bringing this deaf man to Jesus. Did they, before they brought him, did they prepare his ears for healing? Did they give him special instructions? Okay, before you meet Jesus, you should probably get some things right. Alright? Before you go meet Jesus, you need to do this. Make sure your ears are ready to receive healing. He's probably going to hear your speech as well, so make sure that your mouth is ready to receive this. He wouldn't have been able to hear him anyway. The only thing that we see is that they bring him to Jesus. And then what do they do? They beg Jesus to heal him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you begging Jesus to heal people on his behalf? Are you begging people? Are you begging Jesus that he would heal others? Notice the response concerning Jesus. Verse 37. And they were all astonished beyond measure. He, Jesus, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. Not those people that brought him. They were just the bringers. Who's done all things well? Jesus. Who is receiving the praise for this healing? Jesus Christ. He does all things well. He came to the world that the world might be saved. He doesn't save the best, thankfully. He saves people like us instead. And now that we have been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God, how will we see the rest of the world? How do we want to see those who do not yet know him? Are we willing to bring them to the feet of Jesus? Are we willing to fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for His help on behalf of others? Are we willing to beg Jesus so that others might be healed? In conclusion, let us be ones who bring others to Jesus, who beg that Jesus would open their ears so that they might hear the truth of the gospel, loose their tongues, that they might speak the only name under heaven by which man might be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Let us not see ourselves as better now than Now that we're in Christ, we're just better off. Let us see it as we have this blessing to offer the rest of the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we hear these words, we might easily want to put ourselves in your shoes. The one who somehow thinks that we deserve praise for all the things that we're doing in your name. But instead, we're just the instruments that you use. On our best day, we were former dogs under the table, just hoping to get the crumbs. And so, Lord, help us that we would not see ourselves as better than we are, but we would see you instead as the Savior of the world, the one who can save sinners, the ones who can deliver them from evil. And so, Lord, we pray, we beg you, Those of those of us, those those of those people in our lives that we know that need you, we beg you that you would heal them, that you would use us if it be your will to be instruments in that way. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.